Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, grads, it is a great day to have you guys with us. Thanks so much for bringing life to our church. It's always fun to have people that are a little bit younger and have some good perspective in the house. And um, we, uh, we know that we'll be seeing a lot of you guys in the, in the years to come and days to come. But um, especially for those of you that are leaving this place and going out to other places, be missionaries for us. You're representatives of First Assembly, but more than that, you're representatives of Jesus Christ. I know some of you are going on to uh, ministry school and Bible school, and some of you are going to get trained in ministry, and we are just incredibly... You, church, you should be excited as a church that we are sending out people to be trained in ministry. That's multiplication. Amen? That extends our reach, and you're a part of that. So don't forget about our youth, adults. Don't forget, when you see them in the hallways, when you see them walking, get to know them a little bit. I know that they can be a little bit intimidating sometimes. Youth, do you guys know that you guys can be intimidating to older people sometimes? They don't feel as cool around you sometimes. Um, But adults, take time to get to know our kids, our youth. Just have a conversation with them. Get to know them a little bit. Speak into their lives because they need your input. That's why God brought the church together. That's why I'm glad that we have a multi-generational church. Aren't you glad for that? I like to hear the wisdom of people that are older than me. I like to have the energy of people that are younger than me, you know? I'm kind of in a happy medium right in the middle right now. I'm loving 40 years old right now. Anyway, get to know our youth and and, uh, grads. We are so excited that you guys are here this morning, that you've been a part of our church, and that you guys are going big places like Pastor Downey said. So thank you guys. Thank you guys. We are looking forward to seeing what God's going to do through you and in you and as it kind of happens today, my uh, message is a little bit flavored maybe towards uh, a younger generation. That doesn't mean that if you're older that you're not going to get anything out of it. You will. But uh, younger people, maybe you'll understand this, especially when we talk about the introduction a little bit, uh, a little more. So you might have to help me out because some of the old people may stare at me and not exactly know what I'm talking about. So you have to speak loud, okay, youth? All right. 2017, there was a businessman by the name of Billy McFarlane. And uh, there's a musical artist that you may have heard of named Ja Rule. And uh, they flew a group of social media influencers to a small private island in the Bahamas. They spent them down there for a photo shoot on a private yacht and then paid those influencers. How many know what I'm saying when I say influencers? We had a series on influencers. These are people that are on Instagram and they're on, uh, they're probably not on Facebook, (laughs) on Instagram uh, or Snapchat or some of these. They're on these social medias and they have huge followings of people and companies will pay them to promote their products. It's kind of like a new form of advertising. So they flew down these influencers to this private island And then uh, they paid these influencers to post about this music festival that they were promoting. Uh, And this music festival that they're promoting was going to happen in the spring of 2017, yeah, I believe in 2017. And so the buzz that happened because of that photo shoot and because of this, this media blitz that they did through social media took off almost immediately. Millennials were paying, they paid uh, anywhere from $500 to $12,000 for tickets to this two-day music festival in the Bahamas. And the promise that they were given was that they were going to stay in luxury villas. They called it, they were going to put up these tents that were like luxury tents, and they call it glamping, you know, like glamorous camping, glamping. Um, They were going to have these luxury villas, and the more you paid, obviously, the nicer place you were going to stay in. The people that paid the most, they were going to stay in these really nice huts and villas and stuff. 
So they were promised, you know, luxury villas. They were promised access, VIP access to celebrities, not only influencers, but, you know, musical artists. And they were promised gourmet food catered by high-end restaurants. When the day of the music festival arrived, participants started showing up from all over the country, all over the world, um, showing up at the festival. And what they found was completely different than the bill of goods that they'd been sold. Instead of a luxury music festival, it looked like more like something out of Lord of the Flies. The luxury villas were FEMA tents set up on an abandoned construction site, and there wasn't even enough for everybody there, so they had to fight for tents to get tents for the day. Uh, there were no celebrities, no bands, no influencers to be seen. The high-end gourmet food was literally, and I'm not exaggerating, it was literally one of the pictures showed a piece, two pieces of bread, a piece of cheese, and a little bit of salad. That was their gourmet dining experience. There was a stage, but there were no musical artists. Their luggage was brought from the airport, and they brought it in like shipping containers on semis, and they literally just dumped the luggage out into these parking lots in this abandoned parking lot where these tents were set up, and that was it. So in the end, the festival was really nothing. It was called the Fire Festival. There's documentaries on it, Hulu and Netflix. Um, but it was really kind of, I would say it was kind of like a reflection of the time that we live in. There's a lot of hype out there. But when it comes down to it, sometimes there's not a lot of substance to be found. And there's a phrase that's come to the forefront of our world in recent years that describes this, and it's what I titled my message today. It's called Hype Culture. Hype culture. And I looked at the definition of hype culture, and this is what I found it to be. Hype culture is essentially a term used to describe a generation obsessed with finding the next big thing. It's a culture bent on excitement and adrenaline almost to the point of self-exhaustion. How many of you can see hype culture in full effect in our world today? Even when you look around, I mean, it doesn't take long to look far, especially those of you that have kids. There's a serious amount of hype culture that we as parents have been bought into because, you know, if they're not in uh, gymnastics and they're not in tumbling and they're not in soccer and they're not in, uh, you know, dance or they're not in something by the age of five, they're probably going to be a failure and they're never going to go to college, right? We kind of, we buy into that idea. And so we have our kids running like crazy from event to event to event to event, and they live in this hype culture. This adrenaline culture where they're just, they don't have any time, they don't have any margin, they just go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Students, can you identify with me a little bit? Ever felt like that maybe just a little bit? Yeah? Hype culture. From movies to shows, the promotion of what's being offered is usually more impressive than the product itself. You know, there's a, it's, it's interesting in, in my oldest son, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to owe him any money, but my oldest son sitting down front wearing white shirt and red hair. Um, he keeps me up on this stuff. And uh, it's really interesting what they do right now. They, they hype these products up. There's certain products and brands, and what are their, their strategies are is they come out with limited edition stuff. So, like, you know, they'll come out with shoes, for example. They'll come out with a limited edition, and they'll only do certain number of these shoes. And uh, what they do is they create supply and demand. Basically, they come out with these shoes, and, you know, they might be $250 shoes, and that might be on the low end of the shoes. But... But it's not enough of the $250. Like, there's a lottery system, literally a lottery system that you have to enter and able, uh, to be able to buy these shoes. Am I right? 
Yeah, he's done it before, he knows. To buy these shoes, there's a lottery system. So it's not enough to buy the shoe, you have to like get a ticket to buy the shoe. And then once you buy the shoe, uh, what they do is because there's a limited number of them, people want them and they create this hype around them. And so people will pay, you know, a $250 shoe could go for thousands of dollars. And so people will resell them and things like that. But this is what's happening in our world, it's hype culture. And there's a certain name for an individual or a person who wants to stay up on the latest and the greatest fashions and the latest and greatest brands, and they deck themselves of all. And uh, students, I'm going to ask you the question, does anybody know what the name of that person is that has to have the latest and greatest brands and shoes? <laughs> is it Pastor Donnie? No. No, Pastor Donnie is just trying to get on the preachers and sneakers page. That's why he wears nice shoes. No. <laughs> you got to get pictures of him. We'll get, we'll get a picture of those shoes later so we can get him on Instagram. Uh, what's the name of that person? Hype Beast. They're called a Hype Beast. Are any Hype Beasts in the audience? Looking around, I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> We're not Hype Beasts. That's a good thing. Don't worry about it. It's good. Um, so anyway, you have this culture of just of hype, this culture that is going from one big thing to the next big thing, not really ever slowing down. And, but, but here's the thing. You may be listening to what I've just said and think you've disconnected yourself from it because you're like, well, that's not me. But can I tell you, the hype beast, the hype culture idea is really wired into every single one of us. So let's take it down from a national level this morning to a personal level. Each and every one of us have times when we get caught up in hype and we don't walk out our walk on a day-to-day -day basis. We, we, we allow days to become ticking, ticking points and time points in order for us to get to the next big thing. You know what I'm saying? It might be the next hunting trip that you go on. It might be the next big shopping uh, adventure that you're looking for. It may be the next purchase that you're looking for online. How many of you are online shoppers? Some online, <laughs> you see with your heads down, <laughs> it's me. You know what I found out? I, I, sometimes I like, I'm not a big online shopper guy, but I found what I really like to do. Uh, and sometimes I'll purchase the products. You know, I don't even purchase them necessarily online, but I love the hunt of finding a good deal. And I start pouring through reviews. Do you ever find yourself doing this? I find myself on Amazon at 11 o'clock at night, pouring over reviews because I want to find the diamond in the rough. You know, I, I, I'm looking for it. And usually the reviews I'm reading say things to the, to the um, uh, they usually say things like, you know, this is for the money, you know, because that's how I shop. I shop cheap. So it's always like, this is a great value for the money. This is what you can expect for the money. Um, but anyway, it might be the next sh big shopping purchase that you're, you're at. It might be the next big concert that you have tickets for. It might be the next sporting event that you're a part of or you're looking forward to or that you have tickets for. It might be the next weekend. I mean, we live in a culture where people hate their jobs and their lives so much that every Friday is like a celebration. You know, they're looking forward to Friday because that's when they get to, uh, you know, get fulfilled and that's when they get to have their excitement. So whatever it is that you find yourself in, I think all of us at one time or another, we're wired to look for the next big thing in our lives. But, and that's not always a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to look forward to something. But the problem comes when your life consists of just living for that, just living for the next big thing. When you let so much life go by because you're just thinking and obsessing over that next thing. Because you know what happens with that? You know, let's take a car purchase, for example. You're just, you're looking forward to that car and you want to purchase it and it's all you can think about and you've taken it for a test drive and you're picturing yourself doing one of these, you know, and you're just thinking about it. You know what happens with that car? Eventually it gets old. 
You know, you buy it, you purchase it. Maybe you bought it with a loan. Hopefully you paid cash. But I know the majority of people probably pay loan and those loan payments start coming in and the car gets dirty. You start leaving your garbage in the car and it's even more dirty. And that car just, you know, what you thought it was going to do for you, it just doesn't really do what you thought it was going to. Or you go to the next big concert and you're looking forward to it and you're hyping yourself up for it for months and months and months and the concert's here and the concert was great and it was a lot of fun, but it just didn't really do what you thought it was going to do for you. Or you're looking forward to the next big movie release, maybe, and you get to the movie and you find out that the trailer was actually better than the movie. You know, have you ever done that? I have. You're super disappointed. I guess my point is this, is that we all experience this idea of hype culture where we're looking for the next big thing. And the thing is, it just, when we're living like that, it never really satisfies us. It never leaves us at peace. It never leaves us fulfilled. It doesn't give us joy. And we lose so much of our lives wishing for the next big thing when God is saying the treasure is in the day-to-day. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. That's what I want to challenge you with this morning. Because even as, you know, as Christians, we get caught up in the hype life. We live in a fast-paced world of accomplishments and productivity. And I already touched on that a little bit. And that's what's praised. You know, our family, like a lot of others, experienced a shift when the quarantine started. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider us necessarily an over-involved family. Like, we, don't, we, we try to keep an eye on the amount of stuff that we do and the amount of stuff that we commit to as a family, um, even with our kids and, and things that they do, extracurricular activities and those things. Um, but uh, when everything was shut down and life was slowed down, I think I could say it was, it was kind of a shock to our way of life. We had kind of started getting into some routines and habits and patterns that I guess I didn't even realize that we were there <laughs> until we didn't have it anymore. And so, you know, for a while there, especially at the beginning of the quarantine, we really found ourselves in a place where we were, we didn't have anything to do. <laughs> we were, can I say it? We were kind of bored. And I know some of you have never, your lives haven't changed one bit since quarantine. I, I get that. That's great. But some of you have, and you understand what I'm talking about. Maybe you lost a job or maybe your kids are out of school. Um, our lives were different, and like all of a sudden we're around each other 24-7, you know? Um, that was challenging, right? Can I say it? But um, it's a learning process that we went through in our lives, and something that was great because it was a revelation to me, and I came to see that the way that we were living and really that most Americans are living is really flawed. And we talk about it, we've given lip services to it in the past, but it took a quarantine where we, took, we put the brakes on a lot of stuff in our lives where we couldn't go on trips and we couldn't go to entertain ourselves and we couldn't, we weren't doing the activities that we used to do to really see that there's some major problems with the way that we were living. And there's some major issues with the way that most Americans are living. And it, taking the busyness away was one thing, but I don't want to hang my hat on that this morning because it's not just about taking the busyness of your lives away because you can take the busyness of your life away and you can still live in hype culture because you're still looking for the next big thing to fulfill you. It's about walking in the space the way that Jesus did. Not living for the next hype, but actually thriving in mundane life. Day to day, living it, loving it, owning it, working it, like thriving in that space, which a lot of us don't do. Because real joy is accented on the mountaintops, in the high places, but can I tell you, it's cultivated in the valleys. It's cultivated in the in-between because let's be real, the mountaintops and the high hype experiences are things that don't come along very often. So if we're living for those things, guess what? We're forgetting about a whole lot of life. 
The majority of our life isn't lived in those times, and so let's, we need to learn how to cultivate that time, and we need to learn how to thrive and walk in that day to day. And when you do that, because this is the way that Jesus did it, and that's the reason that we do it, Jesus had a rhythm of life that he lived, and he modeled for us when he was on this earth. And that rhythm kept him at peace. It kept him joyful. It kept him fulfilled. It didn't matter what Jesus' circumstances were doing because how many know he didn't have great circumstances? The man was homeless for three years. You guys realize that? Jesus did not have a house that he lived in. He was homeless. Jesus had people trying to kill him and plotting to kill him constantly. There were times when there were mobs of people on him and he was able to just slip away. Jesus had friends betray him. Jesus had a lot of things happening that we don't really think about because he was Jesus, but he had circumstances that were pressing in on him all of the time. He did not have a job, so to speak. He didn't have income, and even back then, you had to have an income to live on. So Jesus had or could have had stressors, but he was always at peace, always centered, always focused. How did he do that? Well, I want to share that key with you this morning. I want to share how he was able to do that because you need to be in a place or we need to be in a place where we can do that too. And I think that's, that's a life that we all strive for and want. But, but the question is, how do you get there? And the, the answer is this. Here's the key. You ready for it? Jesus spent regular time in solitude with his father. That was the key. That's the entire key to living a life where you're thriving in the day-to-day. Regular solitude with the father. That's what Jesus did time and time again. You can read it all over the stories of his life in books we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the components of his life, it was the most important practice that he did, the biggest component of his life. It was essential to the way that we were intended to live. Because how many know that once you get to that thing and it lets you down, you know, that, that's not how we're meant to live, to look for something and then it lets us down, look for something that lets us down. That's not how we were meant to live. And Jesus modeled the way that we were meant to live. So let's take a look this morning at when and how Jesus practiced solitude with God. Like, like when did Jesus do this? What were the circumstances? What was the benefit? Why did he do it? Well, number one, he... He saw God when seeking direction. He had solitude. And I'm going to throw some scripture verses. You'll see them come up on the screen. Um, I'm not going to read them for you, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a synopsis of what happened. It would be a great idea to just write those down if you're taking notes and go ahead and look those up later. Uh, but Jesus, when he was seeking direction in Luke 4, 1 through 2, before he even started his ministry, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, okay? Wilderness was like a a desert, basically, where there was no people. It was away from society. It was disconnected from the world. For 40 days and nights, Jesus fasted before he started his ministry, and he spent time getting his marching orders from God, seeking the direction of the Lord while he did that. In Mark 1, 35, Jesus spent the night praying And then when he woke up, he told the disciples right away, hey, we need to go to another area and preach. How did he know that? Why did he decide to just do that? Because he'd spent time with the Father, and God was giving him direction, downloading directions from heaven to him. Because how many know that Jesus, and this might blow your minds a little bit, there, there was a very human component to Jesus, and Jesus modeled what it was like for us to be on this earth and how to live. And Jesus didn't know every single thing that was gonna happen. Do you know that? There were times when Jesus was surprised. That tells me that Jesus didn't know everything that was going to happen. He knew what he knew because the Holy Spirit had told him, just like you and I can walk out of this place and have the Holy Spirit reveal things to us. And so that's why Jesus would spend time with the Father to get um, marching orders, to get direction when he was seeking God. Luke 6, 12 through 13 
Jesus, again, spent the night praying. In the morning, he woke up and he chose the disciples. What was he doing? He was getting direction from God. God, who do I need to pick? I'm gonna be hanging out with these guys for three years. I'm gonna be pouring my life into them, and they're the ones who are gonna, they're basically gonna found, they're gonna, they're gonna be the ones who are gonna be the church. So I need the right 12 guys, Lord. Who do I choose? And God gave him the names of the 12 that he was to take with them. So do you see what I'm saying? When you're seeking direction, it's a great time to get alone and have solitude with God. If you've ever found yourself in that place of needing direction, grads, you might be in that place of seeking direction. I know many of you have made your decisions. Some of you haven't. Some of you younger teenagers are in that process right now of thinking, what in the world am I gonna do with my life? Can I give you a bit of advice? Before you go to a school counselor, before you go to your parents, before you go to friends, before you go to anybody else, go to the Lord and get his word. Because guys, as Christians, we don't live by what other people tell us and what conventional wisdom says. We live by what, where God tells us to go and what he tells us to do. And sometimes that looks very different than conventional wisdom. In fact, most of the time it does. So maybe you're in that place of needing direction. Maybe your head is just swirling because so many people are telling you so many different things. Disconnect, solitude with the Father, and God has got so much direction he wants to give you, probably more than you want to even hear. But that's how we get our direction. You know, I think of this in terms of my own life. And um, there was a time when, you know, one of the things I guess I've learned is that sometimes when, you can tell when God's at work at a person when they do something that's out of character for them. It's in a good way, not a bad way. Um, Just an example of this, I was... um, My wife had connected with some family members um, back in, Jesus has probably been 10 years ago or so, she connected maybe probably actually even way longer than that, now come to think of it, um, 12, 13 years, but she connected with these family members, and um, it was a great thing, it was awesome, things were going very well, we were, you know, going to go down and visit them, and they had called, and uh, there was some miscommunication, and there was just some, just some humanness and some flesh that got in the way, and um, suffice it to say, they, they sent an email that was just very nasty and very pointed at my wife. And um, it's interesting because my wife's personality is she's, she's the bulldog, go-getter. You know, she doesn't take any, any stuff from anybody. She's ready to, to, like, come at you. You know, she's reactive a little bit. I'm, I'm, pain, I'm sorry, Don, you're not that bad. Um, <laughs> I'm making her sound horrible. Um, but she's very reactive, and she's very, like, on it, and she's very good in the moment. Um, me, on the other hand, I'm like... Let's just take it easy, you know, let's just take some time, let's see what God, you know, and I'm, I'm on the, almost the polar opposite end of her. And um, when this happened and she shared it with me, you know, my, my reaction was like, I said, give me their phone number, I'm going to call them and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You know, my wife is hurt right now, I'm going to, and that's, that's not really, out of, that's out of character for me, but, but what was really crazy was she, before she reacted, she went and she took her Bible, she got some worship music, and she just went and got alone with the Lord, and God spoke to her through Scripture and basically said, let me take care of it, in so many words. And so she came to me, she's like, no, we just need to let God take care of it. And I was like, who are you, you know? <laughs> God spoke to her. God gave her direction. And actually, everything turned out really well, you know, and uh, things went very well, and, and things were mended, and it was great. And had I done what I wanted to do, what conventional wisdom would have said, I probably would have made things worse, and I probably would have blew things up where they didn't need to be. But she was able to uh, have a cool head, fortunately, in that time, and she was able to go to God, disconnect, and get his word for that situation. 
There's another guy that's interesting to me, and I just kind of now started to study his life a little bit because I keep hearing about him, so I'm like, God, maybe you're trying to tell me something, but um, familiar, some of you probably because of the area are familiar with George Washington Carver. Um, he was a man who was born in the uh, end of the Civil War era. He was a son of a slave, and uh, he was born in the time in the South when the, the, they had used cotton crops so much that they were depleting the soil and they didn't know it. And so he had, he knew that the peanut plant would replenish soil. And so he was trying to get these farmers to plant peanuts, but nobody really, there's no big demand for peanuts like there was cotton. So he went to the Lord and he was asking the Lord, God, give me the secrets of your universe. And God said, your brain's not big enough for me to give you the secrets of the universe. And so God said, give me the secrets of the world. He said, you're not big enough for that. And so George Washington Carver got it down. He said, God, give me the secrets of a, or he asked God, God, what will you give me the secrets of? And God said, I'll give you the secrets of the peanut. And so he did. And God said, here's what you need to do, George Washington Carver. Break the peanut down into its base parts. And that's, you know, fats and amino acids and glucose and all the things that create the peanut. So break it down into its base parts because he was a chemist and then put those things back together in different pressures and different temperatures and, you know, do what a chemist does. George Washington Carver took that advice that God had given him and he came up with over 300 uses for the peanut. Incredibly practical uses like foods, oil, paint, ink, soap, shampoo, facial cream, plastics, axle grease, and many other products. And so all of a sudden, this peanut that he was trying to sell to the farmers in the South to help them replenish their soil became something that was incredibly in demand because you could do anything with the peanut, right? Companies could be birthed out of this idea. And where did George Washington Carver get that direction? He said this. This is the key to his. He said, all my life, I have risen regularly at four in the morning to, the, to go to the woods and talk with God. That's where he reveals his secrets to me. When any, everybody else is asleep, I hear, God's, I hear God best and learn my plan. That's where he got his ideas. He got it from the Lord. If you're seeking direction, you need solitude with God. You need to disconnect and you need time with the Father. That's the key. Number two, when else did Jesus go? He, knew, he went when he needed direction. He also, went to, he also spent solitude with the Father when he needed a recharge. Mark 6, 30 through 32. Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two to do ministry. He said, go out and cast out demons and you know, preach the good news that the kingdom of heaven is here. And then they came back and you know what Jesus told them? He said, we need, to, we need you guys to get away from people. You need to go to a desolate place. He's used the word desolate again. Go to a desolate place, a place disconnected from everybody else, and you need to rest. This is Jesus. That's what he told them, his disciples. Because when you're out there every day giving, 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 whether you're a mom, whether you're at work, whether you're, uh, you know, whatever life you find yourself in, at some point you're giving, 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 giving to people. And hopefully as a Christian, you're out there and you're exercising the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is not easy when you're working with people that are not Christians and they just, or you've got a boss that, you know, is just coming down on you and you're, you're doing your best to hold things together. How many of you know you get pretty tired by the end of that? That's why we need regular times of solitude with God. It recharges us. That's what Jesus knew when he told the disciples that. After feeding the 5,000 in Matthew 14, 23, you know what Jesus did? It was late at night. You know, he fed the 5,000, he sent them all home, and then he went up on the mountain to be by himself, and he sent the disciples out into the Sea of Galilee. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to be by himself. He needed to recharge. He was teaching all day. 
He was teaching all day to the point where they hadn't even eaten, and that's why the disciples said, Jesus, we got to give these people something to eat. They've been here all day. They're going to faint. Well, guess what? Jesus was part of that, too, and he was the one giving out. He knew he needed to recharge, so he went to the, he went to the mountain. Sometimes that getting away is an opportunity to rest, and rest, I mean, you know, rest is God's idea. He came up with it, the very beginning of creation. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, it's a good time to disconnect. Take some time with it. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry the heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You ever been that person in the middle of carrying a heavy piece of furniture? You ever been that guy when they're, you know, you got, you got a person on each end, and, you know, they're trying to take this furniture that's probably too heavy for them and they're like jump in jump in and you kind of get in the middle you ever been that or, or like you're me and you're short and you got two lot like you know guys like Graham and August size on the end and you're holding I'm holding it like this and you know you're holding it and you're like geez this isn't so bad and the guys at the end are like Aah! you know and you're like I don't know what's wrong with these guys you know I'm fine <laughs> how many of you know a person in the middle is doing absolutely nothing <laughs> right they're just there for looks <laughs> when Jesus says my yoke is easy. Yoke yourself to me. I hope you understand that metaphor because Jesus was talking about yoking oxen together, right? A, a yoke ox. In fact, Pastor Barry, I, I know because I think I had to find it for him one time. There, he's had a, a yoke up here before where you have, you know, it's a big piece of wood that goes from one ox to the other and it helps them to, to pull the uh, plow in unison together, pull whatever they're pulling. Jesus says, yoke yourself to me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's like, let me break it down for you in a more modern context. Jesus says, go ahead and move furniture with me. You can be the guy in the middle of life. I'll do the heavy lifting. You can just sit there and look good, you know? I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So if you've ever been that person or you're in that place where you got to recharge, you know, if you're giving out, giving out, giving out, I used to use this example as a middle school pastor all the time. I had these dominoes that were glow in the dark. And I used to talk about the fact that these dominoes would sit in a box under my bed and as a little kid, and I remember I would get them out at night sometimes if they'd been sitting in my room for a long time under the bed in their box, and I'd get them out in the middle of the night only to be sorely disappointed because guess what? They didn't glow, right? But then I found out if I leave my dominoes open and I turn the light on during the day, then I turn the light off, guess what? They glow. They keep giving out, giving out, giving out. They need a light source to recharge, don't they? That's how we are. You can't just go, 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 go all the time. You can't do that. You weren't made to do that. Maybe you're a type A personality and that's all you know is just go, 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 go. You're gonna burn out. You're gonna be good for nothing. You've got to disconnect. You've got to spend time recharging yourself in the presence of God. And so many times that can't be done unless you get away in a place where there's no people. We'll talk about that here in just a second. When's the last time, the last time I want to share with you that Jesus went to the Father, and obviously he went to the Father for a lot of things, and I'm just honing in on a few of them this morning, but number three, when, when he was working through pain. When he was working through pain. After John's death in Matthew 14, 13, John the Baptist got beheaded. It hit Jesus. And so when he heard the news, he went away by himself to pray. Why do you think he did that? Because he was working through his own pain. That was hard. John was, and I'm sure that, you know, Jesus had been revealed to, he knew why he was on earth. I mean, he was, that was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he was going to die. And so part of me wonders if he just didn't see the end for himself coming, and that was part of it too. I don't know. But 
Um, he was going through pain. The night that Jesus was arrested in Luke 22, 30, 39 through 44, Jesus was in anguish in the garden. I don't know if you've ever read that passage before, but you should read the prayer of Jesus. You can find it in John, where he's just in anguish, and it said his sweat was like drops of blood. That's how anguished he was when he was working through the fact, because he knew that he was going to die. He knew it. He knew it was happening that night. He's been, again, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And God, Jesus was in so much anguish, he asked God to take that burden from him and asked him if there was another way. And he said, but not my will, but yours be done. But he was working through that pain, Jesus was. But where did he go? He got away from the disciples. He got away from everybody else, and he went into the garden by himself to pray. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one that has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I think it's pretty amazing to know that, you know, as you look across the world and all the gods that other religions serve, there, there, there is no God out there that is like Jesus because Jesus became a man. Why? Why did God become a man? Part of the reason was so that he could identify with us. Isn't that awesome? So when you're going through pain, you know that you have a Savior who's been, who's literally walked this earth. These aren't just good stories. He historically, literally walked this earth, and he experienced pain. How, do you, how many of you like to go to someone who's been there, done that, when you're talking to somebody, when you've been through something? They have good things to say. They have an ear to hear. They have good advice. Jesus is that high priest who can sympathize with us because he's walked where we've walked. He gets it. So why not work out our painful questions with him? He's not afraid of our questions. Even when you're angry, he's not afraid of your questions. You're not going to rattle God. So why don't you go to him and talk to him? Ask him about it. Well, maybe you're hearing these things today and you're saying, well, that's fine for Jesus because he didn't have a full-time job to go to or he didn't have to raise kids. And it's not that Jesus, like I said before, he didn't, it's not that he didn't have pressures. He did. But he chose to make his connection with God the priority of his life. He had things to do. He had, in a lot of ways, he, had, he could have been busier, way busier than you and I, but he chose to make his time with God a priority. We all have time in our day if we're honest with ourselves and when you have quality time with, with the Lord, if you take that time to have it with him, it's something that you can look forward to, not something you're made to do or you make yourself to do. I know sometimes that I've, I've been taught and I've been preached to and by really well-intentioned and good people, you know, to have time with the Lord. You, you know, it's got to be at this time and it's got to be a priority and, it, and that's true and it is, that's for sure, no doubt about it. But what they didn't talk about was the heart motive of it. Because so many times I would go out of those services and I would, I'd say, okay, I'm going to do it this week. I'm going I'm to make, you know, make, uh, make it my goal and I'm going I'm to hit that goal only to fail and fail and fail because I was making it a kind of a legalistic thing. Does that make sense? I was making it a rule. It's not a rule. When you're dating someone, it's not like you have to make goals to like, spend time with that person. You find time to spend with that person because you love that person with your kids, with your husband, with your wife. It's the same thing. It's not a chore. It's not something you have to do. At least it shouldn't be. If it is, we got to set up some counseling for you, you know, talk to us afterwards. But it shouldn't be a chore. It should be something that we love to do. And so if it's a chore, then maybe, maybe you need to look at your relationship with Jesus. Make sure that you're on the level with him. Make sure that he has got your heart the way that he wants to have your heart. Because then when you do, it's like you're longing for those times when you can get together with him. You are longing for those times when you can get into his presence and spend time 
with him. But I want to give you a couple of uh, I want to give you a couple of just real practical ways to make this happen. As I'm closing up today, um, you know, Jesus did this really organically. He, like I said, he, he didn't, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but when he did it, he just made it happen because he loved the Lord and he took time when he needed to take time. So here's a couple things that you need to do to set this up in your own life. And again, I'm not going to get legalistic on you, but I'm going to give you a couple of guidelines to make this easier. Number one, you need to find a place. Designate a place where you can be by yourself. It is important for you to be by yourself once in a while. Even if you're a socialite, even if you're a social butterfly, you gotta get away from the crowd. You gotta get away from the, the voices. You gotta get away from the noise of the world so that you can hear God speak. It's important. It's important. So number one, you gotta find a place. Designate a space you can be by yourself. Make it accessible, because I know sometimes people are like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, have my, I'm gonna get time of solitude away with the Lord, but it's gotta be out at a really nice place where I can see the sunrise, and it's gonna have to be in a place that's like a state park or something, or maybe you have like a picture in your mind of this perfect you know, mountain lake that you're gonna get alone with the Lord in, or I'm gonna be out on the boat in the water. That's great when you can do that, but how many of you know you're setting yourself up to fail because it's probably not accessible? Or maybe you're thinking, man, I gotta be on my back porch with coffee on an Instagram-worthy day so I can meet with God, you know? It's probably not gonna happen because it'll probably be raining that day and then you're shot, you know? You don't have to have a picturesque place. You just have to have a place that's accessible, easy to get to, that you can get away from the, the voices and the noise at any time. That's what you need. Just find a place like that that you can get away. Make sure you can get to it easily and whenever you need to. Make sure it's away from distractions, like I said, whether it's the kids, whether it's the temptation to jump on your phone. You know, maybe you need to leave your phone somewhere else while you go and you meet with the Lord. Um, maybe it's, you can't go into a house in the room that's not clean, because if you're that person um, who loves to clean, you just sit and look around at all the stuff that needs to be cleaned, and all of a sudden, an hour's gone by and you haven't done anything with God. You're just worried about what needs to be cleaned. But, but let it be a place where you're not gonna be distracted, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Some of the places that I... Uh, that I love to go where I can be fully engaged, but yet at the same time be disconnected, a lot of times it's in my car. You know, sometimes if I have drives that I have to go on, that's a great time to just get alone with the Lord. I know some of you commute to Des Moines, so that is prime time to just shut the radio off. I mean, if you want to play worship music, whatever, but, you know, make it a time where you can just have your time where you're connecting with the Father in solitude. Um, there's, there's other places, I mean, around your house. I know Devin, she likes to go down in the, um, in the uh, we have a front room, we call it, because we don't have a good name for it. It's like a second living room in our house where we don't know what to do with it, so we just put furniture there and never sit on it. Um, but she just, she'll go down there in the morning before anybody wakes up, and that's kind of her place to just kind of disconnect and have her time. I love this. Jonathan Edwards' wife, uh, Sarah, if you know Jonathan Edwards, he was uh, a Puritan, and he started this big revival, or he was part of this big called the Great Awakening way back uh, 1700s. And uh, his wife, they had 11 kids, and she was home with them all day long, okay? All stinking day long. And so she didn't really have a place she could disconnect because someone always needed her. So what she would do, and I think this was her, um, I'm pretty sure it was. But she had a rocking chair that she would sit in. She had an apron that would kind of lift up, lift, lift up like this. And she put that apron over her face. And the kids knew when mom's got the apron over her face, that was her time with the Lord. Don't mess with her, okay? You just be quiet and you don't mess with her. So you can find a place anywhere just as long as you can disconnect. Uh, so find a place and then secondly, make a space. It goes without saying, but if you're going to spend time with God, then you need to find a time to spend with God. If you're a scheduled person, schedule a time. 
If you're more spontaneous, then have regular spontaneous times of solitude with the Father. Does that make sense? There's different personalities. Some of you have to schedule your bathroom times out in this place, okay? Some of you can go on vacation tomorrow without knowing where you're going or what you're going to do, and you just kind of make it up as you go. Two types of personalities. Work with your personality. If you need to be scheduled, schedule a time. Stick to it. If you're not a scheduled person, I understand that. Then just find a regular time that works for you, but it's got to be consistent, non-scheduled people. I used to think you had to get up at 5 a.m. to meet with God or it was less effective. Um, But you know what? Jesus met with God late at night all the time. Yes. (laughs) Because I'm not a morning person. And so I've tried to do the thing where I get up in the morning and I meet with God. You know what happens? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That's what ends up happening. It's ineffective for me to try to do that. It's not who I am. Work with who you are. God created you to be that way. Don't get down on yourself because that's who you are. Work with it, you know? Work with the rhythms that God created in your life. So I'm a night person. Sometimes I have my, my time when everybody's going to bed at night and I can just sit there in the living room and I can be by myself. Those are my times sometimes. So work with who you are. It doesn't have to be early. It doesn't have to be scheduled. Just work with who you are, but it's got to be consistent. It's not about a formula. It's about a relationship. I can't say that enough. Be flexible in your time according to the season of life you're in, but you got to be consistent. So again, it's not about condemning you for missing your time. It's about being consistent because sometimes you're going to be in a season of life where you're in quarantine and you've got a lot of time on your hands to spend with the Lord. Sometimes you're going to be in busy seasons of life where you don't have that much time, but you got to be consistent and find a little bit of time in there, just being consistent. I'm going to close up today. So um, when COVID-19 came on the scene, as I said earlier, the new way of It was a new way of life for us and our family. We found ourselves spending more time with each other, but we were actually, (laughs) when we worked through it, we found more time with each other, and we actually loved it. We were doing family things that we hadn't done for a long time, spending time together and enjoying each other's company and enjoying each other. We found a new pace, that new pace of quarantine life was refreshing to the point where we said to ourselves, I don't really want to go back to the, to the way that we used to live. I don't want to go back to the hype life. And so Dev and I have had those conversations that, you know, we like this new way. We, like, we found something here that, that is healthy and that is good. And I pray today that's going to be you as well, that you stop living for the hype of the next thing and you start to learn the rhythms of life that Jesus has when, you're, when he's at the center and you take out the busyness and you listen and you stay connected with him. And this morning... It's pretty much all I have to say to you today, but I just want to take time for one more thing, and that is, well, I guess two things. Number one, if you're a Christian in this place, you kind of, I, I kind of laid it out to you, I hope, my challenge to you, my, what, I, what I want to see you do from this place. You know, um, make a space, find a place, regularly connect with God in solitude, okay? If you are in this place and you really don't understand what that looks like, I want to give you an opportunity today to understand what that looks like. And it all starts in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, you're probably in that place, if you don't know him, where you're just trying to find what you're looking for, and you're like one of those people I talked about where, you know, it's the next hunting trip, or it's the next credit card purchase, or it's the next car, or house, or it's the next home project, or whatever it is that's got you excited, and you live for that, and then by the time you're done with that, you're let down and you're disappointed. It's because you're looking for something that none of those things can fulfill. You're looking for Jesus Christ because you were created to have a relationship with him. Actually, you created to have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. 
And God knew that. But the, the, the sad part is at the beginning of time, humanity messed that up because they had an opportunity for a perfect relationship, but they messed up and they did something called sin. And that sin has separated us from God ever since the beginning of time. But God made a rescue plan. And so he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who I've talked about a lot today, down to this earth to live the perfect life as a human, which I've also talked about today, so that he could die a murderer's death on the cross. And by doing that and being resurrected three days later, brought back to life, he made a way for us to be able to interact and commune with God and have these times that I'm talking about where you find fulfillment and you find joy and you find peace like you've never known before. And if you've never made that decision, I'm gonna give you that opportunity today because that decision changed my life and changed the life of a lot of people in this room. And I think today there's some people in here where today's your day. Because I think the Holy Spirit has been calling you and he's been wooing you and God's been planting seeds in your life for this very moment. And so I'm gonna give you the opportunity because the Bible says all you need to do is admit your failures and confess your sin. Say, God, I, I know that I can't do enough. I can't be good enough. I know that I've messed up and I've sinned against you. You need to admit those things. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is who I just said he was and that he did what he said he did. And then you just need to confess him as your savior and say, I know that I can't do it. I know I can't be good enough to ever live up to the standard I need to live up to. So I take the righteousness of Jesus Christ and put it on. That's all you have to do today. And I'll lead you in that prayer this morning. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. The reason I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes is just because I don't want you to feel self-conscious or distracted. But if you're in this place this morning and you never made Jesus Christ the savior of your life and you want to have the benefits that come along with that, not to mention eternal life, which I didn't even talk about, you want that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand here in just a second. And when you do that, I'm gonna lead everybody in a prayer, not just you, but everybody. So again, you don't feel self-conscious. And you can call Jesus Christ your savior and find eternal life today. So let's go ahead. I'm gonna to count to three and have you raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three. Let's raise hands this morning if you wanna make Jesus the Lord and savior of your life. Amen, I see it. Thank you. All right, you put your hands down. Um, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're online this morning, I wanna make that to you as well this isn't just for people sitting in this room, but it's for you as well. So if you meant that today and uh, you're raising your hand, let's go ahead and pray. I'm gonna go ahead and lead everybody in prayer. Repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. I'm sorry for what I've done to you. Help me to live for you. I wanna have you as my savior for the rest of my life. Help me to live in your peace and follow you wherever you're gonna take me. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every individual in this place. God, I thank you especially for those who maybe made you their savior for the first time. God, I pray that you take those seeds that were planted today, God, and that you would cause them to grow into something incredible. Lord, a person who is a fully mature disciple of you who can lead others to know you. Heavenly Father, I pray for the, everybody else in this place and online, God, that you will get us into a mind space, Lord, where we're disconnecting on a regular basis from our lives so that we're spending solitude time with you. And as we do that, God, let our influence increase and let your Holy Spirit increase in us, God, so that we see tremendous fruit, not just in our behavior, but God, also in people. Lord, we love you and we love the things that you love. God, as we go about this day and this week, I pray that your blessings would be all over us. God, give us opportunities to touch and reach people who need to hear about you. 
We love you and we give you thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.